0: Welcome to Get In The Know With Your CMO. Thank you for listening to our podcast created just for you, the medical staff, hosted by Saj Joyce, CMO for the Central Division, me, and to my partner to the right, Dr. Drew Herman. Hello, CMO. CMO of Levine Children's Hospital and Jeff Gordon's Children's Center. So Dr. Passerati, thank you for coming and chatting with us. Uh, Let's let the audience uh, know who you are. Tell us a little bit about your current title, uh, what you do as our infectious disease uh, specialist here at uh, Carolina's Medical Center.
1: Sure, so I'm the medical director for infection prevention for Atrium Health, so I help coordinate the programs that help prevent infections or deal with outbreaks throughout the healthcare system. I'm also an infectious disease doctor, so I spend about two-thirds of my time doing infection prevention and a third of my time seeing patients, mostly in the inpatient setting, doing consults and helping figure out challenging infection-related cases.
0: Okay, so both the clinical side, both on an individual basis, but also from a system level looking at outbreaks or being prepared for outbreaks.
1: Exactly, and I, you know, I think it's important to have both that clinical side and the administrative side so that I you know, understand what's going on on the floors and kind of, can kind of pick up on issues there that I might not hear about otherwise.
0: Are you the only infection prevention specialist or team member that we have
1: here? So I'm the medical director. I work with um, two other adult physicians and then a pediatric physician. So um, we're kind of divided geographically. So Dr. Anupama Nilakanta covers Pineville, Cleveland, the facilities in what we call the South. And then Dr. Stephanie Strollo uh, covers the facilities in the North, so Northeast being her biggest, uh, Lincoln. And then I help coordinate amongst those two. We also Recently, just this year, have a pediatric infectious disease specialist that has taken over some of the pediatric-specific hospital epidemiology. So, Dr. Amina Ahmed Mm -hmm. is that Mm -hmm. recent addition, and she's been wonderful.
0: That's awesome. And then, how about the rest of the infectious infection prevention team?
1: Yeah, so we are the physician group, but we work with about thirty-five to forty. Um, infection prevention staff. So most of those are nurses um, that have spent time and done specialized training in infection prevention. Um, There's also what we call infection prevention assistants. So those are the people that help us with some data entry, do the hand hygiene observations to see if someone's compliant with hand hygiene. They're specially trained. They're part of our group. And then we also have a couple of data analysts who help us with putting all the tons and tons of information that we deal with together for different venues.
0: But can you speak to a recent condition whereby you had to get the team together to address an epidemiology issue?
1: Sure, so uh, recently related to kind of OR, operating room issues, We had um, a clinician came to me and was like, you know, I'm seeing an increase in a specific type of infection. Hmm. That's very concerning to me. So can you look into this further? So, you know, we had to look into things in the operating room setting, in the post-op, kind of on the floor setting, trying to figure out where this, whether it truly was, You know, quote unquote outbreak, or whether it just was happenstance that we're seeing an uptick at this particular time. So, it required us doing a lot of kind of investigative work trying to figure out exactly what was the cause whether it truly was an outbreak you know coordinating with the physicians on the team the nurses on the floor in the operating room and then my entire team all working together to try to figure it out
0: and i think you and i worked together a few years ago when the zika virus uh, from yes. a pregnancy standpoint was a big issue and uh, you want to tell us a little about yeah, what went so on there? Zika
1: or Ebola, so whenever there's a new kind of what we call epidemiologically significant disease, mm-hmm. so something that has potential to impact a wide swath of population that we haven't necessarily dealt with before, um, oftentimes that 's where infection prevention plays a role. How do we prevent that from spreading in our hospitals in our community? that involves you know working with the Department of Health, public health system, working with our own facilities. Um, working with clinicians, trying to figure out how to educate, how to put programs in place to make sure that we identify those patients that are at risk for these new diseases, how to prevent the spread, if what's needed to, done, to be done to prevent the spread, all of those things kind of working together.
0: Got it. Well, you're pretty passionate about this work. I do love it. Yeah. I yeah. can see it and hear it. Um, have you always wanted to do this?
1: No. Um, you know, I. I went to Johns Hopkins for my college and medical school and residency in internal medicine and I knew pretty quickly I didn't want to do surgery, I wanted to do not to, not to slam surgeons, but <laughs> <laughs> that I liked the the logic and the thinking of internal medicine, yeah. um, and then got offered a spot kind of outside of the match for infectious diseases. And I, it, it was when HIV was kind of hitting its prime, and it okay. was super interesting, like a lot of new developments, and I liked the thought process. I liked that you're on the cutting edge of making a difference for patients. Yeah. Um, so that got me into infectious diseases, and then actually what made me stick with infection prevention um, at Hopkins, there's a very strong group of female leaders Uh within the uh infection prevention. So I loved seeing women that were not, you know, awesome doctors, but also good on the administrative side where women maybe haven't always been as, um, you know, as common. Um, So it was a great role model and I liked the mix of different kind of activities. So one thing led to another, and here I am. There you go. Ten what, years so later.
0: Ten years. I was going to ask you. So you came here ten years ago. I
1: came here in 2011, so okay. almost ten years, yeah. That's awesome. Yeah.
0: Uh, and so where is home? I know you described the collegiate years and the medical school years. Yep. Where is home? And, and Home,
1: with... um, I grew up in upstate New York, so okay. way up near the Canadian border. and then You was don't in... say A, though. No, I don't. <laughs> <laughs> different parts of New York, different things. Um and then Baltimore. I spent most of my, you know, young adult life in Baltimore, and Got then it. here. I Got place it. So I um,
0: very good. Uh, well, thank you for sharing that. Anything else you want to share about yourself to the audience? I mean, because uh, part of the uh, part of the purpose of this podcast is to really let uh, other members of our medical staff in our atrium health system know that, one, you're very personable, that you're easy to approach, and that when you get a message from you uh, because you might have had an infection uh, that it was associated with your patient, really you're here to help.
1: Yeah, I would I would like to kind of, you know, infection prevention gets a little bit of a negative connotation, seen as the police or, you know, we do have to give information when there's an infection that's been called or there's an outbreak and sometimes, you know, there's a, a negative connotation to that at times. But I also hope that people can see, you know, we're all trying to do what's best for patients. And we've moved from this age, you know, medicine was a lot less transparent back in the day. And as we move into more and more transparency as far as, you know, what we do well and what we don't do as well, there's going to be growing pains. Um, But just know that the infection prevention group in general is always rooting for our hospitals, for our providers, for our patients, and it's never meant to be you know, calling someone to task or anything like no, that. Yeah. It's all meant in the spirit of education and you know, working together to make things better. Like, uh-huh. I love it when people give me feedback on, well, did you think about it this way? Or you know, that kind of um, collaboration and communication I think only makes us better, so I am always open to that.
0: And it's, it's all about the team. Uh, I think when you say those words like collaboration and helping each other get better, it's us get better as the administrative and the uh, the, the look for opportunities to continuously improve.
1: Yeah, absolutely. It is all about collaboration and working together. Because, you know, no one person has the answer to everything in our facility. So it's going to take us really all working together, at least a thoughtful group of leaders kind of working together. Very
0: good. Well, I know that there are a couple of other... Uh, important items that uh, with regards to infection that we need to get ready for it's, uh, it's almost October um, so I think we'll start seeing a surge in patients uh, either both in the community and also in the hospital What do we expect to see?
1: Yeah, so we've already started to see, we haven't seen influenza yet, but you know, with kids returning, as soon as little kids go back to school, we see an uptick in respiratory viruses. So we're already starting to see that in our facilities, although we haven't seen any influenza yet. Um, You know, we do expect as every year, we'll see influenza. Um, Different years, flu comes at different times. We've had a very late flu season. There are some indications from the um, lower hemisphere that we may see a little bit more of an early season than we've seen in the past couple of years. Um, But really, it's too early to tell exactly how severe the flu season will be or exactly when it's gonna hit. But we need to start thinking in that mindset of, okay, we're entering respiratory virus season. Mm -hmm. I need to identify those patients. I need to put them on appropriate isolation to protect ourselves and others you know one of the big things during flu season we run into everyone has a wonderful work ethic and you know tends to work even if they're feeling under the weather mm-hmm. or uh-huh. you know and several times people have worked while they have the flu. So just being aware in yourself, if you have symptoms suggested of the flu, so fever, muscle aches, respiratory symptoms, really you're not doing your colleagues or your patients any, um, any benefits that you really need to stay home when you're sick to try to prevent from spreading to others, even if that's not the intention at all at all.
0: And I think my understanding is that you don't need to take the vaccine because it doesn't work. <laughs>
1: Exactly. Yeah. (laughs) Um, So, you know, the flu vaccine is the best thing we can do to prevent getting the flu. Even if you get the flu, your um, illness will be much milder. So, you know, it's important for us as healthcare workers because we can be a part of a chain of transmission to our patients who are very susceptible. But many of us also have sick individuals at home that we could bring things back to. So you're also protecting your family, yourself. Um, It really is essential. You know, people do say, well, the flu vaccine's... 30 to 60 percent effective, you know, why bother if it's not 100 percent effective? And, you know, if you have a 30 to 60 percent chance of not getting a potentially life-threatening illness, you know, by just taking a vaccine, then, you know, in my mind, the risk benefits are way worth it. And there have been multiple studies that have shown, you know, less mortality, less hospitalizations, that kind of stuff with flu vaccine. So I would encourage and everyone to get the flu vaccine and get okay. their family members vaccinated. Do
0: we know about the efficacy rates of, of the vaccine for, the, for for this year?
1: We don't know for this year until we actually get in the thick of the season. Okay. Um, last year it was better than years prior, they made some slight changes in one of the strains that was in the vir- in the vaccine, um, but we don't know for this year okay, yet. Okay,
0: okay. And what will be the process here uh, to educate the teammates uh, with regards to our f- flu precautions?
1: So we always have infer, you know, the easy answer is we always have information up on People Connect and Physician Connect on the Infectious Diseases page. That's okay. a, any time of the day or night. You can go there and find information on flu, on, you know, what kind of... Um, if we have visitor restrictions in place, we always put it up on there and send out. There are a couple of different kind of um, terms that are probably worth reviewing just because it gets a little bit confusing in mm-hmm. flu season. Yeah. So. Um, we, as a group of hospitals within this geographic region, meet every other week and talk about what we're seeing and try to move in step with each other when we put into place um, different markers within the flu season. So the first one that we come to when we get start seeing a good amount of flu circulating is we declare flu season, which means anyone who's unvaccinated at that time at any of our facilities with that policy then have to wear a mask during mm-hmm, all mm-hmm. patient care. So that's flu season. If there's especially high rates, such that we're concerned about spread within the hospital setting, um, then we may enact visitor restrictions, which again is separate from, you know, declaring flu season. When we um, implement visitor restrictions, then uh, children under 12 and under um, are restricted from visiting inpatient units because children can very easily spread um, respiratory viruses. Um, so those are the kind of different, and we do, again, do that with Novant and Wake Forest and all the other right. hospitals in our geographic area. So we're all area. working so that together. We're, exactly, working together, making a decision together so you'll get the same care at each facility you go to. Very
0: through. good, very good, yeah. So when people see the signs out front and the messaging, it's not just us doing it on our own. Right. It's a partnership, and all the other facilities will do it uh, the same way. That's wonderful. Um, You know, we we look for jokes as part of uh, the humor is important in Uh the way we provide care. And I was uh, wondering if you had a joke that you may want to share with us uh, uh, to the audience. And if not, that's okay. Uh-oh, oh, she's she's laughing. All right, <laughs> right tell us All right, what you so got. I'm gonna
1: give credit to my husband because he's the jokester in my family and I am less of a joke person, but <laughs> he, put, he did a, a fall appropriate one. He said, do you know why, oh, shoot, sorry. Do you know why Spice Girl fans are so excited?
0: No, why?
1: They have a new member, Pumpkin Spice.
0: Oh, boom, <laughs> boom, oh, very nice. <laughs> and that okay. describes
1: my husband in a nutshell right very there. Very
0: good, perfect for the fall season, yes. yeah. Um, but you have a, a, a wonderful smile and the attitude of enjoying laughter and humor as part of it. You work very hard. You've been very successful of what you've done in the past and in what you're presently doing. Um, but when you spend all that time working, what refuels you? What do you do to try to give yourself uh, the energy you need to keep on doing this hard work?
1: My, fa- my husband, my nephews, my family are huge in that. And I, you know, even if it means getting up at like 4 or 5 a.m., I need some physical activity every mm-hmm. day. So mm-hmm. I get up and I work out every day. So those, you know, between family time and occasional downtime with my favorite people and, you know, some sort of physical activity, that really gives me like my brain a break. It makes me feel better about myself. And um, those two things, are, I would say, are what so. keep me going for sure.
0: And there's also another interesting fact about you, your uh, biological connection with someone.
1: I'm identical twin. (laughs) So I have an identical twin in Virginia who, um, she isn't a physician, but she works, she has actually built up two centers for children with autism. So we're both in the kind of field of hoping to help people and whatnot. So um, yes, there is another of me, but um, she has not taken my place ever here yeah, I was if you say, see me, me. Yeah. okay
0: got it got it well great well um let me also now change topics mm-hmm. back again for when you work hard you work really hard and you've got a great team and we are privileged to have you on our team here um and your team here working on efforts such as hand hygiene tell us a little bit about why we're doing that not only from a facility level but really across the system why is hand hygiene important
1: Hand hygiene is the single most important thing we can do to protect our patients from infections. It really is the one thing that can make a big difference in making sure we don't transmit these highly resistant organisms. And, you know, over the years, as antibiotic resistance has gotten worse and worse, our options for treatment have gotten fewer and fewer so that has kind of raised the importance of preventing transmission in every way that we can even more so Um, so hand hygiene is you know your hands are the thing that most touch patients they manipulate lines they touch wounds very, um, very important to keep those clean to prevent the contamination with bacteria. Um, so, if there's one infection prevention thing, you know, I can give you a list of other things, but if one thing you do every time and know that it truly is important, um, hand hygiene is the one thing I would emphasize.
0: Okay, and I think that we're taking on a system level. Do uh, you want to share a little bit yeah, about that? Yeah. So
1: back in 2016, we started collecting hand hygiene. So prior to that, um, people would kind of submit hand hygiene observations that they self observed out in the unit. Beginning in 2016, we um, we trained people specifically how to get good observations because we were finding, you know, it's it's human nature when you submit your own results you do 99%, 100%, you do very, very well. (laughs) But when someone else looks, you know, performance isn't always as good. So back in 2016, we started doing program where uh, um, quarterly we have trained observers. So they're trained by infection prevention. The observations are taken exactly the same every time um, by consistent people across the healthcare system. It also allows us to compare data between facilities, between units, Mm -hmm. and really Mm -hmm. try to um, raise the bar as far as um, what we're trying to achieve with hand hygiene.
0: Good, and there's a goal that each facility has.
1: Yep. So everyone, the goal is everyone get to eighty percent. So this literature shows that if you can get eighty percent hand hygiene, you can see reductions in MRSA and other kind of drug resistant organisms. Um, so you know we of course, like 100%, but at a minimum 80% is the goal. Um, Over the past few years, we've done a program where if you achieve 75% 75 or higher on the hand hygiene compliance by these um, trained observers, then um, because you are doing so good at that, so well at that basic of infection prevention, that contact precautions for MRSA did not have to be utilized in that facility.
0: So no gowning up? So no gowning
1: or gloves for MRSA, it would still apply for others. Sure. But but that has been, you know, that is a, big volume of our patients that require isolation. Um, We are very much working to um, raise the stakes a little bit more and really get people to speak up to each other because, you know, we've tried a number of ways to improve hand hygiene compliance and you'll see improvements and then we'll kind of fall back down and improvements and we'll fall back down. And until we get a culture where we truly are holding each other accountable and that means you know maybe an EVS person tells me hey Dr. Passeretti you didn't wash your hand when yeah. you went in that room. Well, um, use
0: me as the example not yourself. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Hopefully that'll never happen um, but you know right. that we're all speaking up we all can make a mistake yep. we have to like remind people when we make that mistake or we're not going to get in that culture that seatbelt safety we do it every single time sure. kind of minds that um, and really you know I would hope our culture is that if someone's like, hey, you know, in a polite way, hey, did you realize you didn't wash your hands, that no matter who that is, right. from you to whoever, right. that the, you know, the right answer is thank you, I didn't realize I did that. Awesome. And, and
0: not a punitive culture but not really
1: punitive a, this is not meant to be punitive this really is for our patients sure. it really is intended to
0: the collaborative to piece our of what we were talking about earlier the intent is to have everyone feel comfortable that they can speak up and help each other elevate all members of the team exactly great i have i have a question for you from, from a joke standpoint okay uh-huh what does bacteria mean
1: what does bacteria mean? I yeah. don't know. What
0: does it mean? It's the back door to the cafeteria.
1: <laughs>
0: you see, but your joke was a lot better. I'm glad you said. It. But I can, not
1: I... related to infection prevention. Oh, well, so I but like
0: this yours. one ties into your right exactly. Um, listen, this has been great getting to know you a little bit great. and sharing your experiences and your passion with the rest of our medical staff and those that are listening. Do you have any last... uh...
1: Just, you know, I talked about myself a little bit, but I would like to just say the infection prevention team are... I've had the pleasure of working with them for nine years, and we've had a very consistent team. They are some of the most dedicated, hardworking people, and they want to help units and interact with their units. So I'll just put a plug in for my team in general um, that, you know, they really, really have worked hard to try to... and the patient safety aspect can't be kind of under-emphasized. Under so I just want to give them a little shout-out. Uh,
0: absolutely. I couldn't agree with you more and that they are an incredible part of our team. And so I appreciate everything you and they do together to keep our patients safe. On that, thank you, Dr. Passeradio. I hope you have a great day. Thank you. Thank you for listening to Get In The Know With Your CMO. We hope you enjoyed this show and look forward to you joining us on the next podcast where we will continue to interview other members of our medical staff or members of our uh, services here that will allow you a better understanding of what we are here to do together.